What's up, everybody? To those of you who are watching from our San Jose campus and uh, the rest of you who are watching on various social media platforms across the United States of America, let me just take a moment a couple of days in advance and just say happy 4th of July. I find it more than just ironic that in uh, this particular week, as we are approaching celebrating uh, the Independence Day of our nation, 247 years, which as we talk about our Independence Day, we're talking about freedom. Can somebody say freedom? Yes. Today's lesson uh, also has a lot to do with freedom. Those of you who are watching from our San Jose campus, if you're just sitting, someone's next to you, just turn to them and just simply say, freedom at last. <laughs> Those of you who are watching online, if you're typing in the chat, type it in the chat, and the rest of you just say it out loud with me. Just say, freedom at last. That's what we're going to talk about today as we continue in our Back to Basic series. For those of you who may be joining for the very first time, this is a series where we're talking about the fundamental tenets of what it means to be a Jesus follower and how uh, do these tenets, these principles that we believe, how do they affect our everyday life? So to this point, the last several weeks, we've covered some really important questions. Number one, who is God? Number two, who is Jesus? Three, who is the Holy Spirit? What is the Trinity and what's its implications for our lives? And we've taken our cue from the Apostle Creed, which is located uh, on our website. I encourage you to check it out. Today, we continue to take our cue from the Apostle Creed. The section that says, essentially, by implication, and we believe, in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, Pontius Pilate, and was crucified. There it is. Can you say crucified? So today we want to wrestle with this question. What does Jesus' death on the cross mean? Or perhaps you should personalize it a bit more. What does Jesus' death on the cross, his crucifixion, what does it mean to me? What might it mean to my family? What might it mean to my household? With that in mind, let's read our passage today. One of my favorite passages out of the Gospel of John, uh, beginning at verse 13, the first five verses. Here's what it says. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave the world and return to his father. And so he had loved his disciples doing his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. But Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off the robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water in a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. God bless this teaching. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's begin here. Jesus was crucified on a brutal Roman cross. If you know anything about history, the Roman cross was designed to inflict the maximum amount of pain 
and public shame. And yet when we talk about the crucifixion of Jesus, we acknowledge today that it had, had and it has transformative power. Matter of fact, this is the point uh, you should take note of. The power of Jesus' crucifixion is real and available to all boys and girls, middle schoolers and high schoolers and the elderly, people of every race and ethnicity. The power of Jesus' crucifixion is available to us all. As a matter of fact, there's such power wrapped up in Jesus' crucifixion till we find that oftentimes it acts upon our lives even if we don't fully understand or have the least degree of knowledge, whether it be biblical or theological, about what it all entails. It's a fascinating story told by the former Cardinal Archbishop of Paris, Jean-Marie uh, Lastique. He uh, recently retired, or rather he retired from his post in 2005. But while he was uh, the Cardinal Archbishop of Paris, in one of his homilies, he shared a fascinating story. He said, one day in Orléans, France, back in 1939, there was a group of kids. And in their fun time, they found themselves standing out in front of a Catholic church. And so they began to dare each other who would go into that church and make up the most horrible list of sins that one could imagine and go into the confessional booth and confess it to the priest. You know, horrible lists like cutting off a friend's head and playing catch with him, go confess something like that to the priest. And just a long list of stuff like that. So a young man by the name of Aaron, who was in the circle, he took the dare, ran into the uh, Catholic church, went into the confessional, bless me, Father, for I have sinned, and just came, just ran through a list of horrible, horrible things. Clearly, the priest recognized what was going on. So uh, when it came time, he gave the young man a penance. He said to the young man, he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to walk up to the east end of the church where there happened to have been a large statue of Jesus on the cross. And he says, I want you to look up at Jesus and say three times. And this is a bit edgy, but I'm simply quoting here. So bear with us. Say three times. Jesus, I know you died for me, but I don't give a damn. This is the boy like, Wow. I'm about to really add to my fun. This is super exciting. He races down the hall and goes and stands in front of the large statue of Jesus, the crucifix, really, that's there. And he, and he says it the first time. He says it the second time. But he couldn't say it the third time. He broke and melted in tears. The young man walked out of the church totally transformed. Remarkably, Cardinal Archbishop Jean says he knows about that story because he was that young man. The power that's wrapped up in these words, Jesus, I know you died for me. As a matter of fact, why don't we just say this out loud? Those of you in San Jose and the rest of you are watching online, come on, just say it out loud. Just say, Jesus, I know you died for me. Just say it again, Jesus, I know you died for me. One more time, Jesus I know you died for me. For me. Can you point to yourself? For me. For me. 
wrapped up in these remarkable words. There's tons of theology that the church talk about. We use theological words to try to capture the concepts all tied to the crucifixion of Jesus and what it means for the world and what it means for you, what it means for me. One of those words is a word called justification. Can you say justification? Yes. Simply means to be set free and made right because of the forgiveness of our sin. Another word is sanctification. Shout it. Sanctification. Simply means to be set aside for God's purpose and to have the Holy Spirit working in our lives, transforming our character so that we become more like Jesus. Another word is salvation. Can you say salvation? Yes. Salvation simply means that I've been rescued from the power and the penalty of sin and death, not just temporal death, but eternal death. You remember the scripture says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Salvation, I've been rescued, saved from that reality. But the word that I want to, look for, I want to focus on the rest of our time today, though, is really captured the atonement. Can you say the atonement? Just some basic theological words. I just want you to kind of get familiar with justification and sanctification and salvation and wrapped up all of it in one way or the other in this notion, this unique word, atonement. Here's the basic definition for it. It is the reconciliation or mending of broken relationship, of a broken relationship between God and humanity, atonement. The English word for this really breaks down like this, at one minute, to restore the relationship between you and God. But here's my question that I want to ask. Two, really. One, how does this actually work? How is it actualized in your life, in my life, if you would dare to believe? And two, is the atonement solely and simply about uh, the reconciliation that comes with my being forgiven of my sins? Is it just about me and my sin? Is it just about me and my mistakes, my wrongdoing? Is, is the atonement, is the crucifixion of Jesus on the death, is it really just about me or you? Or could it mean more? These are the two things that I really want to explore today. And what time we have left is how does this thing work, right? And what does it fully entail? Now, the writer of the Gospel of John, who was a close companion of Jesus all the way through his death and resurrection, gives us a fascinating uh, gospel story, will be our teacher today. And it's interesting to note that the Gospel of John is made of 21 chapters but in chapter 1, uh, the writer introduces us, John introduces us to Jesus by saying three things. And what he does in the midst of this is he puts the crucifixion of Jesus right up front. Notice, you'll recall if you've been working with me through this series, you know that the gospel begins by saying that, uh, that Jesus is the Word. And that the Word was God and the Word was with God. He goes on to say something else about Jesus. He says, and the word became flesh. I like the way the message version puts it. It says, uh, and the word, that is Jesus, moved into the local neighborhood and became one of us. And then as you continue to read, you get to verse 29 and you'll notice uh, that John the Baptist, who we've talked about for the last two weeks, who's this, who uh, responsible for the baptism of Jesus, 
is watching Jesus, and here's what the passage says. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him, and, and here's what John said to the, his disciples that were standing around him. Look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, John is Jewish, and the people he's talking to is Jewish, John the Baptist, that is. And so when he says, behold, look at the Lamb of God, what they actually was hearing him say was, behold, look at the Passover Lamb of God. And in that very statement, he's pointing to Jesus' crucifixion. And then as you work through the Gospel of John, the writer John wants us to keep confronting Jesus' crucifixion. And we hear Jesus teach us and get us ready for it all the way through the Gospel of John. Look, chapter 3. Just Jesus says to Nicodemus, just as Moses uh, lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man, that's how he referred to himself, must also be lifted up. It's one of the ways in which Jesus referred to himself. In chapter 10, Jesus says, no one can take my life. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it up again. In other words, when my crucifixion occurs, it will happen with my permission and my cooperation. That's the only way it can take place. And then in chapter 12, Jesus says this words, uh, when I'm lifted up, meaning the, the act of crucifixion, I will draw everyone to me. This is the writer's John's way of reminding us what Jesus continued to remind people of during the three and a half years of his ministry. And that is that the crucifixion of Jesus is not an accident of history. In another place, Jesus puts it like this. For this cause I came into the world. Wow, that's deep. That's important. Crucifixion lies at the very center of what we call the Christian faith. This notion of atonement. And here is an interesting insight. There are those who say if you want to read about the story of Jesus' crucifixion, then you simply read uh, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But if you want to learn what, the, what it means, you read the Apostle Paul and the letters he wrote to the Romans, the uh, letter of Ephesians, the epistles, and so forth and so on. But John would beg to differ. Here's the first point that John is going to teach us in chapter 13, which is where we've come to. His first point that John is going to teach is this, that Jesus' crucifixion is about freedom. Can you say freedom? Freedom. We find this here in the very first opening verse. It's already been alluded to in chapter 1. Behold the Passover lamb. And here, the night before Jesus' crucifixion, we have the opening verse. Before the Passover celebration, meaning the Passover meal, the meal that they were going to partake in to remember and to celebrate the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave the world and to return to his father. This, this everything that's going to now transpire is happening right around the Passover. John is reminding us that this, this event, what we're about to learn, because Jesus now is going to teach us the night before his crucifixion. He's going to teach us something about what it means. And it's rooted to the Exodus story. You remember the Exodus story, right? Chapter 12 of Exodus. It is the night before the nation of Israel is going to end 400 years of bondage. 
It is the night before the nation of Israel, Independence Day. The night before, God calls uh, through Moses and says, look, find a lamb, which ultimately becomes the Passover lamb, and, and, and sacrifice this lamb, and take the blood from this lamb, and take a, a, a hyssop plant, and put the blood on the doorpost. And I'm going to send the, 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 the death angel of judgment into Egypt to judge Egypt. Come on now, for it's sin. Among that, the sin of oppression, right? And, 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 but whenever I pass through and see the blood on the doorpost, the judgment angel will pass over. So we got it. And by the time you get to chapter 19 in, in John, you'll find Jesus is on the cross and he cries out, I'm thirsty, and, and, and the writer tells us that some people take a sponge and dip it in some, some sour vinegar wine and puts it on a, on a hyssop stalk, same plant, and puts it to his mouth. Jesus, the Passover lamb, says, takes it, and he says, it's finished. It's finished. So, This work that Jesus does on the cross is tied to this notion of freedom, can you say? Freedom. The next day after the Passover, the nation of Israel broke forth in freedom. Something about atonement that has to do with freedom. And then the next point the text teaches us is that Jesus' crucifixion is also about an amazing, astonishing, extraordinary, incomprehensible love. Here's how it describes it. It says, he, Jesus, had loved his disciples during his ministry. And when we read the word disciples, we should just include ourselves in this because the implication moves forward. During his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. Another way of translating that is he showed them the full extent of his love. What did he do? Next verse, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table. He took off his robe, wrapped the towel around his waist, poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, wash the disciples' feet, wash the disciples' feet, drying them with his towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Peter. Peter says, no, 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 no. This is beneath you, Jesus. He, Peter protested, you will never, ever wash my feet. And Jesus replies, unless I wash you, you won't belong. Everybody shout belong. You won't belong to me. And this is the cue. This is the moment right here. This is the moment, right? This is the key, key that there's something, that there's something powerful going on here. Uh, yes, Jesus is teaching about how we need to serve one another, but there's something even deeper going on here. It has to do with being belonging to Jesus. It has to do with being set aside for Jesus. Belonging, set aside, being cleaned, being cleansed. By Jesus. How are we cleansed by Jesus? And then Peter exclaims, then wash my hands, my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Here's the crux of most of the, the, the message today. I, I'm going to spend this a little time on this. Here's the next point. We are set free. What are we set free from? Everybody shout from. We are set free from. Shout from again. From the power of evil that binds us 
through guilt and sin. I particularly want to focus a little bit on guilt. You and I and everybody that we know, at some point, on some level, we struggle with guilt, or have engaged with guilt. I've got 30 years of ministry dealing with people who love God, who, who work in the church, and yet still struggling and bound by this notion of guilt. How do I get free? How do you get free? This is a great message of the crucifixion of the cross. You know, over 30 years in America, I can tell you stories. I can tell you a story about a fellow who was a uh, drunk driver and, and uh, slammed into a vehicle that had an entire family in it and killed that entire family. What do you say after that? Do you say, I'm sorry? How do you fix that? How do you make amends for that? Think about how through the years this guy was bound by guilt. I'm thinking about the adult daughter who got into a big fight with her, her mom and for six months did not call or talk to her mom. And when she reconnected with her mom only to find out that her mom was days within dying. She had cancer. She lost her mom. This daughter found herself living, even though she was coming to church, living with guilt, bound by guilt. How do you fix that? How do you repair what was broken? I think about in my own life, when I was a teenager, I wanted a trip to, I've talked about this before, the Republic of China, Taiwan, and my grand aunt and uncle who had raised me was so happy. It was a big deal. I was gone for two weeks. I didn't call them one time. When I came back home, they were just shattered and brokenhearted that I had kind of disrespected them and uncaringly related to them with not one phone call. How did you, how do you atone for that? And I carried that guilt with me well into my 40s. I was preaching and pastoring before I found the freedom. Well, the key is hidden in these three words. Jesus died for my sins. When I was a kid growing up, one of my favorite hymns that they used to sing in the church was at the cross. And they would say, was it for crimes that I had done? He groaned upon the tree. Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. And the hymnist was saying, freedom at last, freedom at last from this guilt that I have been bearing. And then the song goes on to say, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burdens of my heart roll away. It was there by faith. I, I, I didn't have any data, but I had faith. It was there by faith. I received my sight. And now I am happy all the day. How do I appropriate what Jesus, this atoning work that he has done on the cross, that's captured in these words, Jesus died for my sins. How do I appropriate it in a way that it literally breaks the bondage and sets me free? Well, let me suggest a different phrase that will help you to see really what's going on. And here it is right here. Uh, I want to suggest that you say this. Jesus atoned for my sins. 
You see, the thing that you can't atone for, that those of you are sitting in my, the San Jose campus, you, some of you are thinking about this now. You're young people in college, and you're thinking about some stuff that you did a year ago. There's some folk who've gone through a divorce, and you recognize that you had a huge contribution to it, and you brought a lot of pain, perhaps, to, to folk in your life. There are story after story sitting in the pews, story after story uh, watching me online, and, and you're bound, and you're bound. How do I access this? Well, if I believe that Jesus is is, 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 is God in our midst who died on Calvary cross, then, then the thing that I cannot atone for, he atones for. He atones for. He atones for. He pays the price. And part of how we access this is to get very, very specific for the fellow who, who killed that family because he was driving drunk. He, he has to be able to say, thank you, Jesus not just for dying for my sin, but for atoning for my recklessness that ended the lives of that family. The, the, the daughter that's struggling because her mom died on the other side of a six-month uh, dis, uh, disruption in their relationship. Jesus, I think that you atone for my sin. That disruption that I drove, fueled by my anger. For me, I had to learn even into my 40s that, that I would walk around whenever I was thinking about that incident between me and my grand aunt and uncle, how I had not thought about calling them and had the weeping and the pain and the shattering. It would fill me. I knew I was still guilty because I felt the shame. And so one day I had to, I had to, I had to come to terms and look at, the, look at Jesus, look up and sense Jesus and declare, Jesus, I thank you that you, you did what I could not do. You atoned for my immaturity. My lack of respect and sensitivity. And you called it from the cross, finished. Finished. Wow. That's the secret. You see, in the Jewish days when sacrifice was made, the, the sacrifice, the, 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 the work of sacrifice, the, the sacrifice work was, was applied to the life of the person who was being redeemed. And, 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 and here's what I want to suggest to you, that, that, that whenever we hear the cry from heaven that says you and I are forgiven, uh, 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 that the Father is applying the righteous work that Jesus did as he spilled his life, atoning for what you and I cannot atone for, applying it to our lives. And so this is what I'd like to suggest, that your conscience has now been purified. Come on. The history, your history has now been sanitized. You know, in various states and here in California, at Maranatha Christian Church, for many years, once a year, the, they would have a fair. And, and if you had certain crimes that you'd committed, particularly as a young person, you could go and sign up and make an application to have that crime expunged. You can make application. Someone would review the application. And if it was approved, they would expunge that crime from your record. Now, you would still remember the crime. You remember that you did it. You, you may ultimately still regret that you did it. But now when you go to fill out an application for a job and they say, have you ever been uh, committed a crime or convicted for a crime? You can legally say no, because that crime you committed no longer exists with the government. It's, your record is clear. 
Here's what the right of Colossians says about us. I'm talking about having, having, having a purified consciousness, right? Here's what the right of Colossians 2.14 says. He says, he, meaning Jesus, canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. He atoned for it. He atoned for it. And he declared, it is finished. He sanitized our history. So here's what I like to say, that your conscience has been purified, your history has been sanitized, and your death and my debt has been satisfied. And I have to remind and reprogram my brain with the good news that Jesus atoned. But here's one key as we hasten towards this last point. You must confess it to access it. I love what the writer of 1 John said, you know, the more, same one who wrote the gospel, writes this small book, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. Here's what he writes in 1st John. You see, if we claim to be without sin, you, me, whoever claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us because we're all broken. We're all sinners. We're all hurting and doing crazy stuff at various seasons in our lives. You may call it a small sin. I may call it a big sin, but it's all sin. Verse 9 says, But if we confess, everybody shout confess, confess our sins, confess our wrongdoings. He, Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And here's that word. Here's where I get the fact that our conscience is purified. He said, forgive us and purify us. The, The NLT says, and cleanse us, Hawkins back to this is what Jesus is now demonstrating when he, when he, when he, when he pulls that towel and starts to wash the feet. He's, 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 he's talking about a deeper work than just washing and cleansing their feet. He's talking about the work that will flow from Calvary where he will cleanse and purify the lives of those of us who would dare trust his atoning work for you and for me. Purify us from all unrighteousness. And then it becomes true what Paul writes. So now we have to remind ourselves that there's no condemnation for those who belong. There's that word belong, who's been set aside, who belongs, who's, who's been claimed by the atoning work of Jesus, who belong. Do you belong? Who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit, the Holy Spirit. This is not just simply an effort on a human side, but, but I partner with God's spirit that is in my life. A life-giving spirit confirms that I've been freed from the power of sin that leads to death. The fact of the matter is so many of us are doing so many crazy things because we're driven by guilt. You can be freed. So Jesus frees us by atoning for our sins. And Jesus frees us by redeeming and repurposing our lives. We often talk about redeem, but notice this. Repurpose, this is my word as we hasten towards the concluding. Repurposes our lives. Wow. Notice how this passage continues. We're almost finished. After the washing of their feet. The text says, he put on his robe, Jesus that is, and sat down. And then he said, do you understand what I was doing? And the honest answer for the folk in the room was no. <laughs> he goes on and says, you know what? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right because that's who I am. But since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, and now we're learning that washing is deeper than just washing the feet, right? It has to do with cleansing. It has to do with atonement. It has to do with reconciliation. Come on now. Uh, uh, You ought to wash each other's 
feet. Here's the point. We are set free, not just from, but we are set free for joining in Jesus' work in the world. So at the end of the day, atonement is not just about me. And it's not just about my sins. It is that out of this place of being forgiven and knowing that he has atoned, come on now, for me, it fills me and transforms me and claims me in a very unique way. One of my favorite movies is from Les Miserables. Lead character is a fellow by the name of Jean, Jean Vachon. He was stealing some bread and put in prison for 19 years. He comes out of prison, needs a place to stay. The priest opens up his house and lets him stay with him, the bishop in the town. Overnight, Jean Vachon steals all the silver. On his way out, hits the priest, knocks him out. The next day, the police catches him. Brings him back, and, and the police says, we, we caught this fella, and he's got a bag full of silver. He said he stayed with you. We, we know he stole this from you. We'll bring him back the bag. And, and the priest, the bishop says, no, 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 I gave it to him. It's his. And he says, and by the way, why didn't you take the, the two silver candelabras? They're worth 2,000 francs. Here. He told the police, go and get some, go get some coffee. I just want to talk to him by ourselves. And then here's the film. Here's, watch the video. And don't forget. Don't ever forget. You've promised to become a new man. Promise? Why are you doing this? Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I've bought your soul. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now I give you back to God. Isn't that powerful? Don't forget, you who say yes to the forgiveness that flows from the cross through Jesus, don't forget, you promised to be a new person. I brought you, Jesus declared, I, I bought your soul. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred. Those who benefit from the atoning work of Jesus that flows from the cross. It's not just let me get mines and go. But, but when I get what Jesus gives me, it claims me. It not only cleanses me, it claims me. Ransom you, I've set you free from fear and hatred. Now... I give you back to God. I repurpose your life. This is what Paul describes in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. For all of our experience, when he, but he's talking about his personal life. He is so rich, meaning God, in kindness and grace, that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his Son and forgave our sins. This is the work of cleansing, but it also claims you. This is why you come to church, why you come to the San Jose campus, why you tune in. Not just to be reminded. You need to be reminded that, that your guilt is assuaged and atoned from by Jesus, but you, you also have to be reclaimed and re-empowered and recharged to go out into the world. And so Jesus says, go do as I have done. We see this on the other side of Jesus' resurrection, John 20, verse 19 through 20. Here's what it says. That Sunday evening, the disciples 
were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. And suddenly Jesus was standing there among them, the resurrected one. And he says to them, as he says to anyone who believes by faith and accepts his atonement, he says, peace be with you. And, and to, to back it up, that peace is based upon what he's done on the cross. So as he spoke, he showed them uh, his hands and he showed them the wounds in his hands and in his side. And they were so filled with joy. And in that moment, they felt like this is just about us, right? <laughs> we have been saved. We have a Savior. But then the text goes on. He says, and again, he says, peace be with you. And here's where it gets tricky. As the Father has sent me, now I commission and empower and send you onto the college campus students and send you onto the high school campus students and send you back to wherever you work and perhaps as a custodian worker or as a CEO. I send you as a nurse. I send you back into your home to be instruments of compassion and empathy and grace and extraordinary love, not because your kids or your parents deserve it, but only because of what I've done for you, you owe me, Jesus says, to be a part of the reconciling work in the world. But you can't do it alone. Receive the Holy Spirit. So I say to you, believe, believe that the Jesus who died on Calvary's cross died for your sins. Receive and speak it forth and thank Jesus for how he has atoned for you. And know that you're not just cleansed, but you are claimed. Not to be perfect, but to be faithful in his service. Amen and amen.